As a child, I was taught certain expressions by adults, expressions that were supposed to teach me a lesson. Now, sometimes when I would hear these expressions, these sayings that are very familiar in our culture, I would listen to them and go, I don't know. I don't think I actually believe that. And I'm not certain you, the adult telling me, necessarily believes this either. For example, this is an expression that comes from Benjamin Franklin. Early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. This came from Poor Richard's Almanac in the year 1735 that Benjamin Franklin helped to write. But the first time I heard it that I can remember was from a babysitter who was trying to get me to go to bed as a young child one night. When I was saying I didn't want to go to bed, she said, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. And you're like, I don't think I actually believe that's true. I just think you're wanting me to go to bed. Or take this one. It's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game that counts. It's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game that counts. I hated that expression because I had a Little League baseball coach that used that phrase every single time we lost a game. There was never a time that we won, and we're all celebrating in the dugout when he said, guys, 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 stop celebrating. It's not about whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game that counts. That was the speech we got when we lost. And so I would hear it and go, I don't actually believe that's true. Or take this last one. It's better to give than to receive. It's better to give than to receive. Now, when I remember hearing that as a young child was one Christmas morning after Santa had been very good to me and then my grandparents had had Christmas with us and they had been very good to me. And as I was surrounded by all of the Christmas Day gifts that I had accumulated, I think my parents were a little worried and they were like, hey, just remember, it's better to give than to receive. And I was like, I don't know. This feels pretty great. Feels pretty great to be surrounded by all of this stuff, which is more than any adult got. I think you're just trying to make yourself feel better. Now, as I get older, I see the wisdom and the truth in each of these expressions. And particularly today on Christmas Eve, I want us to think about this third one. It's better to give than to receive. Life has certainly proven to me that there is truth that reigns through that statement, that there is a joy when we move beyond the natural desire to just live with clenched fists, to hold on to, to accumulate, to make everything about us. When we live with generosity, when we live with open hands, when we live seeking to share what God has given with us, there is a joy that can be found in giving that is found nowhere else. But as people of faith, as followers of Jesus, it is important for us this day to remember that the greatest gift the world has ever been given is what we celebrate at Christmas. And this gift, this greatest gift of all, is one that we do receive. The gift, of course, is the gift of the Incarnation the gift of Emmanuel, the gift of God with us. And tonight I want us to think about what it means to receive that gift and to treasure that gift on this holy day of the year. Think about that word for a minute, Emmanuel. 
This is the word that we sing about. This is the word that the scriptures in Luke describe the baby Jesus. God is with us now. Emmanuel, think about the miracle of that. Think about what it means that God's greatest gift to the world was not a, was not a rule book, was not a, a, a moral treatise, was not suggestions of how to live your life so you can work your way towards heaven, was not a, 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 a bunch of uh, denominational polity, was not a, was not a, 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 a sense of, of warm feelings to make us feel better. It wasn't a, the universe sending us messages and talking to us. That The greatest gift that God gives us is the person of Jesus. God gives us a person, a person to relate to, a person who can relate to us, a person who teaches, a person who exhibits for us what love looks like, what life abundant looks like. It is this gift that reminds us at the core of all that we are. We are relational beings. It's we find meaning and connection and relationship. Jesus says, if you want to know what life's about, it's, it's to love God and to love other people. And it doesn't matter what else is happening in your life. If you miss that connection, you're missing the entire point of why you're here. We are relational beings. And so God's greatest gift to us is a person, one to follow. Jesus. It's part of why this year the holidays have been difficult for many of us. Not just because traditions have been interrupted in some ways, but it's because of the people with whom we usually celebrate these traditions. The people in this age of a pandemic and social distancing that we cannot be with as, as readily um, and maybe can't be with at all. And it's the loss of that connection that makes it difficult as we walk through these times. And maybe should sharpen us to the simple beauty and truth of what it means to live as connectional people, maybe never taking these relationships for granted. My first year that I moved out here to Austin, one of my greatest friends and mentors, Steve Hayner, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And I remember after his diagnosis back in Atlanta, Georgia, where we had moved from, my wife looking at me and going, why don't you go back and see him? And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know, like, we don't have, I don't know, like, what the agenda is or what we would be talking about. We haven't read a book together recently. We haven't, you know, I've got to get on a flight. It's going to be all this cost. I mean, what are we going to, and she's just like, just go. Just go sit with him. Just go be with him, which are some of the most wonderful memories I have in my life today. Just the simple joy of being together. God's greatest gift is not a rule book. It's not a set of morals. It's not the universe speaking to us. It's a person, a gift that has been given to you that we are invited to receive. And what we believe as people of faith is that this is the greatest gift that's been ever given in the world. And that is a bold statement. That is a huge thing to say of any gift ever given. This is the greatest gift ever given in the history of the world. Why do we say such a thing? What's the significance of this gift that we are invited to receive this day? Well, I think it's actually found, the significance and the power of this is actually found in this phrase, Emmanuel, that God is with us. Because see, if you look at that in a different way, what it also means is that we are with God. And that's not just playing on words. This is a mighty declaration. That is, this gift has come in the world as God is with us. We are with God, bound together, abiding in one another. 
that nothing can separate us from God any longer. The Apostle Paul writes about this in the book of Romans. He expounds on what this means when he says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing in this world. He says that nothing, neither height nor depth, nor things present nor things to come, that nothing in this world can separate us any longer from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And what does this mean? Well, it means that as we go through this world, through the ups and downs of life, through the blessings and the difficulty, nothing can separate us from God. God is with us and we are with God. And what does that mean? Well, it, it, it doesn't mean that that uh, is, a, is a, a, a get out of jail free card from anything bad happening to us. Sometimes we can struggle with this. Sometimes we can struggle when we've tried to live a good life, when we've tried to follow the rules, when we've tried to be generous, when we've tried to go to church, we've tried to do things. It can be, feel hard or even unfair when it's like something bad happens. Why does this happen when I've tried to be so good? But that's not the promise of Christianity. That wasn't promised to Jesus. Jesus lived a life that was without sin, something none of us can claim. And yet, Jesus knows what it was like to be left out. Jesus knows what it's like to not be with the in crowd. Jesus knows what it's like to be gossiped about. Jesus knows what it's like to be talked about. Jesus knows what it's like to be lied to. Jesus knows what it's like to be framed. Jesus knows what it's like to have the oppression of injustice forced upon him. Jesus knows what it's like to experience death. Jesus was not spared from any of these things, and that is not the promise of Christianity. That is not the gift that is given to us. We live in a world where there is brokenness and difficulty will come. But the promise is that we are with the one who triumphs over all these things who transforms over these things, who, who redeems each of these things, including death. We are with the one whose life illustrates to us that love is stronger than hate. The one who exhibits to us through the empty tomb that life will triumph over death. The one who shows us that there is no suffering that will be the end of his story and therefore our story. Because as we experience hardship, as we experience pain, even as we experience breathing our last breath, we are with God who is with us. And therefore, his victory is our victory. Therefore, his triumph is our triumph. Therefore, the redemption that we see in his story becomes a redemption that is promised into our story. And as you and I have moved through the difficulties of 2020, that has been our hope. Our hope is that we are clinging to the fact that Jesus is clinging to us and will not let us go. And as we've moved through these difficult weeks and difficult months and this difficult year, I don't know about you, but as I look around, I see a new dawn happening. I see new life springing up. I see new possibilities in the weeks and months to come that we've not been able to see for quite a while. I see people who've been dealing with isolation and, and, and dealing with loneliness and dealing with not being able to see the people they love and those feelings are starting to bridge gaps that our divided political society continues to insist should be separate. I've seen people who have said relationships with other people, maybe who think differently than me, maybe who vote differently, are more important than the ideological purity that is insisted upon by both ends of the political spectrum. And maybe that can bring about something new. Maybe that can bring about a healing. Maybe that can bring about a coming together that we have not seen. 
I've seen people and seen examples of what kind of society we want to have and what justice looks like being talked about and worked for and sought for in different ways of something new bubbling up that we haven't necessarily seen before. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is and can be a part of all of that. We've seen that in the miracles of science. We've seen the unbelievable work of doctors and nurses, but of scientists and researchers as we have celebrated now multiple vaccines that have come into existence that are amazingly successful. And for the first time in a long time, we have a, a, a picture of what a post-COVID, post-vaccination world might look like. A world where I believe we will appreciate things that we took for granted before of schools and of teachers and of education and of church and of trips and of vacation and of community and of all of these things that have been a part of our life, but we're going to see it as we walk back into it with fresh eyes. I see a new era springing up all around, and it's more than just human ingenuity, and it's more than just luck. It is the promise of God who says that struggle and difficulty are real but it shall not be the end of our story. This is the gift and the promise that we are given at Christmas. May we receive this gift given for you, given for us all. Hallelujah and amen. At this point, at this time, we get to come to this place to celebrate one of the most sacred moments of the entire year for many of us. Where the light from the Christ candle is shared throughout a sanctuary, throughout homes, throughout families, throughout this world. I was reading this week. I was reading this week about a church that was preparing for Christmas Eve services and had been preparing for quite a while only to find on Christmas Eve that a flood had damaged their church building, including the pipe organ on which they were going to do their music. As the pastor and the music director came together at the last minute on Christmas Eve to try to figure out what to do, they were stumped. Now, if this was shared on social media, people would go, oh, 2020, it's the worst. These things are happening all over. This isn't a story of 2020. Story took place on this day, Christmas Eve, 202 years ago in 1818 in a small village in Austria. This pastor and music director sat down together and unable to play the organ. The music director picked out the only other instrument he knew how to play that was with him that night, a guitar. The pastor had some words written down. The music director wrote a simple melody hoping it would get them through the night and allow people to worship. And 202 years later, it's the words that we get to sing as we share this light tonight. The words that they wrote and the melody they wrote were Silent Night. Out of the rubble that life sometimes throws our way, new life emerges. And so now, brothers and sisters, we come again to this most sacred of moments, where we light this candle, where a light shines, where we sing this song, an anthem of joy and of hope, where we proclaim that the light 
has come into the world, that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it.